thank you that we can surrender our lives to you because Jesus sacrificed on the cross that we've got nowhere else to go. We can't run to things of this world because they're empty. God, we surrender everything that we are to you. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our stuff. We surrender our relationships. God, I, I just, that's our prayer. Like a rushing wind, Jesus, breathe within every heart, every soul that is here this morning. That you would bind Satan from this place because we do not belong to him. We belong to Jesus Christ. And we surrender everything to you because of Jesus' death on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can have a seat. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we're just going to jump right in. The verse 13, Mark chapter 12, verse 13. And they sent to him, this is Jesus, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again... Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So the other day, I was, uh, I was talking, this was a couple weeks ago, I was talking to um, someone in our church that um, a few years ago they paid off their house, um, and, they, uh, are in a, they, and they knew someone that 
really needed a place to live. And this person has not had to pay a mortgage for a while now, so they were in a position to, um, to help this person out. So this person went and actually bought another house uh, just for the sole purpose of renting it out to this other person. And I thought, man, that's an eternal perspective. We've got someone else in our church who asked this Christmas if they could provide a meal for someone else. We've got a small group who took their time and resources to provide gifts for someone who needed that. We as a church gave over 200 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. We gave 29 families gifts from Angel Tree and had a party with them this year. We've been giving to Freedom for Youth Ministries all year long. Our year-to-date average weekly is consistently climbing. People are serving in their neighborhoods, they're spending their money, and they're giving their time and resources for the sake of others. There was a family that needed counseling, and friends offered to sponsor that counseling. A young widow in need of love finds some of her closest friends here at Creekside. Eleven people were baptized this past year. Our kids filled the stage for a Christmas program. We see at least two new faces every week, and they're staying. People have been set free from struggles with addictions, and some are still in the process. Ten to 15 women this year went through the beginning steps of a Celebrate Recovery program. An older couple asked for help bringing too many kids to fit in their set of vehicles to Wednesday night youth programs. It's a great problem to have. Our VBS kids provided enough money to send five children to Haiti in school this year. Friends have invited friends, and those friends invited more friends and family members, which resulted in in salvation for some, and I really believe there's more to come. A woman shared her story at the beginning of the year. After having three abortions, God rescued her, and she's now living in Texas, married with a beautiful baby girl. Marriages have been and are being healed and mended. Three people went to Haiti to help with projects to serve the least of these. And there are so many other stories that if I took time to name them all, we would be here all day. I am so happy to be a part of this church. There's been rejoicing and there's been pain. But as Tim reminded us in his mid-year Palm Sunday message that the king is still on the throne and he is just as powerful today as he was when he created the earth and in all of time before that and in all of time to come he will never ever change and the point of that is for this next year 2015 at Creekside we want to move forward putting everything that God has entrusted us with into his hands and trust him with it. We don't want to be so much about our programs as we do about people's lives. If, our, if, if people's lives are ever suffering because we're putting too much time into our programs, then something's got to change. But if our programs suffer because we're spending too much time on people's lives, we'll just keep it that way forever. We want to press on focusing on people's lives, their relationships with Jesus, their eternal souls. I mean, this is what it means to actually be the church. These walls 
They don't make up the church. You do. I do. I mean, this is to be the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. And so, when we come to this story in Mark 12, we want to focus on things that matter. We don't want to waste our time focusing on things that will not last into eternity. Isn't that right? So often when I read stories like this and I read Jesus' interactions with Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the priests and the religious leaders, I end up coming away from that judging those religious leaders and almost having just this anger toward them. Like, how could they act this way? And then I start placing people in my life that I would like to put in the same category as a Pharisee because somehow that's like a derogatory thing to say about that person, but I'd rather not say other derogatory things about that person, so I'll just call him a Pharisee, right? It's not a good idea, okay? Because in the, in the midst of that, I forget that Jesus died for them and he loves those people as much as he loves me. Like he loves the broken, criminals, outcasts, poor, rich, and religious people. The heathen, the adulterer, the proud. All of the above. Anything that you're struggling with this morning. Anything that I'm struggling with this, this morning. He loves us all. And he loves them the same as he loves me. And so... In reading this interaction, we've got to remember that the people that Jesus is talking to here, he loves and he desires to see a change of their heart. He desires to see a change of their focus. He desires their mind to be focused on different things other than their own consuming selves and their own world. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, or some versions say to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When you look at that word renewal in this verse, the Greek word for renewal is said like so. Anakinosis, which literally means a renewal and change of heart or life. A renewal of change of heart or life to make fresh a new development only by God's power. And so when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees here and the Herodians, he is the embodiment of Romans 12. He's trying to take these, these guys and to reframe their thinking, to transform their thinking by sharing truth with them. That's all Jesus ever did. He was grace and truth with the people that were stuck in sin and with the religious leaders who were all about the rules. It was still grace and truth. And so by sharing grace by sharing truth with them, he was seeking to reframe the way that they thought about life. Because truth ultimately always transforms people's minds. You see, when we spend time with this, with this book and with God on a regular basis, hopefully, here's why you spend time in the Bible, in God's word. 
and with God in prayer on a regular basis. Because if you're not, you're not going to have that renewal, that change of heart, that shift of thinking that is only capable by the power of God. Because that word renewal implies that the power of God is involved. And this is a living and active book. And if we're not in it, we can't expect for God to change our lives. And when we read it, we pray. Remember, just keep seeding. God, just keep seeding truth into my life because I know that truth is going to transform the way that I act. Jesus is getting them to realize, listen guys, your focus is totally on the wrong things. You're going to continually make poor decisions when you're focused on the wrong things. Their desire for status with the Roman authorities and their comfort in their position in the religious community actually drove them away from the heart of God. When our minds are focused on the things of earth, when our minds are focused on ourselves, when our minds are focused on the things in front of us that we can feel, touch, see, hear, when we're so focused on our own world right here, All that is ever going to do and all that has ever done for anyone is drive them in the opposite direction of God's heart. Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do do you get what that that means? Like if I, it's not, it's, it's never been bad to have money, okay? I'm not, get that, okay? There are some people in the room that just think rich people are evil. They're not. Okay? Money is not a bad thing. It is when we are attached to our money. It's when we love our money. Whether it's money, and I'm going to put all these in the same category. Whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's relationships. When we're attached to these things and we're not willing to let them go for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our treasure is always and only going to remain on earth and that's where our heart's going to be. But if we stop holding on so tight to all the stuff that we have and all the money that we have and we stop holding it so tight like this and we open our hands like this and we, and we hold it, yes, and we're wise with it and we're good stewards with it, but we hold it like this so that when we've paid off our house, we don't just have a bunch of money. I'm not telling you what you have to do with that money right now, but we don't just have a bunch of money sitting in the bank that's still going to be sitting there when we die. It's not going with us. I love that, though, because that's so freeing. We can, like, I'm not in control of my stuff. I can breathe. I don't have to stress out. I don't have to worry about stuff. Luke's gospel, when... He opens up this same story. He kind of launches off like the last time that we were in Mark and the story of the tenants. And Jesus is sharing the story of the parable of the tenants to the, to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And he's saying, listen, 
You, God, God gave you the nation of Israel to, to watch over and to care for, and you uh, did not do that. You killed the prophets that God sent on your behalf, and you're about to murder the Messiah. Okay? So this is where Luke picks up this story. It's going to be on the screen, so, so watch that. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him. Essentially, they wanted to beat the snot out of him. Okay? They wanted to lay hands on him, bring him to the governor right there, and be done with it. They sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor." These spies we read in Matthew, these spies are actually, the Pharisees sent their own disciples. Like they were just, they were, I don't want to mess with Jesus because I know that he's just going to blow me away. I don't, so disciples, you go. And uh, so they sent their own disciples, and this is cool. Along with, and this says this in all of the, the, the versions, but along with the Herodians. Okay, who in the world are the Herodians? The Herodians are a group of people who sought to advance the influence of the Herodian Herod family, political, politically and economically. Now here's the deal with the Herodians. They were at odds in every single possible way, politically and religiously, with the Pharisees. But we see that the Pharisees and the Herodians came together against Jesus. Because Jesus' message... And Jesus' possible rule as king threatened everything and every piece of power that they had religiously or politically. So normally, two groups of people that are at complete odds with each other came together against a common enemy of, their, of them who was Jesus. Heather, I was talking to Heather um, this last week and she's in a... In a small group Bible study with some other women. Um, it's a Beth Moore Bible study, and she was talking to me about the danger of self-protection. That self-protection usually leads us to make bad choices, right? Self-protection. It's all about me. I need to protect myself. I need to save face. I need to, I need to protect my position. I need to protect my um, reputation and all of that. Self-protection always leads us to bad Choices, And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Herodians were doing. It wasn't necessarily about the Jesus' message of, of, of love and forgiveness. It wasn't about all that. It was about themselves protecting their own position. Verse 14 says, And they came and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And then they ask their question. If you look in the Greek, the, the you are not swayed by appearances literally means you do not look at faces. You don't look at people's faces. It doesn't mean that Jesus never made eye contact with somebody, right? He made eye contact with people all the time. But you know when you're in the middle of a, of, of a conversation, it'd be like this. Remember how in my early years of my relationship with Heather, Raleigh was like the Mr. Intimidation to me, right? And so, not anymore. <clears throat> it'd be like me talking with Raleigh, okay? And like, I'm, tr I'm really trying to, 
like win him over. I got to convince this guy that I am worth marrying his daughter, right? So I'm in a conversation with him, and I'm watching his face. And as I say something, stupid comes out, and I see his face, and he doesn't react the way that I think I would like him to react to what I just said, right? And so the next time he asks a question along the same lines, I, I've seen his face, so I change my reaction to impress him, right? But I've changed my reaction to impress him. It's, it may not any longer be what I really actually believe or think on the subject, but I'm seeking to impress him, because I looked at his face and I saw his reaction. Jesus was not a people pleaser. He was on a mission to please one, his Father in heaven. Paul says in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were, get this, okay, get this. If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. It's like Jesus knew what he was convicted of. He, he looked people in the eye, but he was not driven by their reactions to him. They asked the question, and then down in verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They were trying to trap Jesus because if, if Jesus said, yes, go and pay taxes, he, he could have been supporting a possibly corrupt king. If he said, no, we, you don't, don't pay these taxes, then he would have been going against the king. So now Jesus is in, uh, in between a rock and a hard place, right? What do, what do we do? But Jesus' response to them is essentially, listen, guys, don't make this any more complicated than it needs to be. Scripture teaches us that to be subject to our governing authorities is to be obedient to God and to give glory to God. And that is obedience. Be subject to pay taxes when you have to pay taxes. Obey your government until... That authority directly contradicts God's authority. God's authority is here, but it is to God's glory and our obedience to him and his word to obey our government. So Jesus, at this point, has silenced the Pharisees and the Herodians. It says they, they like wondered at him. They were in awe of him. They had no more words. But then comes on the scene, I think the Sadducees were probably standing back and wanted to see what would happen. And when they were silenced, they were like, okay, it's our turn to come on the scene. So we've got the Pharisees, the Herodians, and then the Sadducees come on. And Sadducees were like Pharisees, but with one major difference. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection from the dead, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Three types of people, all in at least one way, in opposition to each other, come together against the common enemy, Jesus. Jesus' Jesus' friends 
were really like far and few between. But he was convicted of the message and, and the, the mission that his father had him on. And he was not worried about people's reactions to it. Because it was the truth. And he was dedicated to the truth. And so the Sadducees come and they tell this story to him. Now, in that culture, if one man and a woman got married, the man died, the, the man's brother, if he had a brother, had a duty under law to marry that woman, and the firstborn child of that marriage would have been the heir of the deceased brother, right? So this happened seven times. Seven brothers marry the same woman, okay, and they all die with no kids. The, the woman eventually dies as well. And they ask, who's, who's married in heaven? And so first Jesus needs to show them that, listen, listen. okay, first of all, they're asking, it's kind of ironic, because they're asking a question about the resurrection when they don't believe about the resurrection. So they're just kind of mocking Jesus at this point. Like, hey, Jesus, if the resurrection is really real, let's see if you got an answer for this. And Jesus, he appeals to them in an area that they know, and that they know well. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they knew the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, okay? They knew about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They also knew that they had died. They had physically died in the ground, buried, dead, 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 not coming back to life. But Jesus says that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living Telling them, you are wrong about the resurrection. People rise from the dead to life in God. This is real. This happens. And he's saying to them, listen guys. You've got you've to shift your focus. You've got to stop thinking so much about your life on earth, what you can touch, taste, see, hear, smell. He's saying, it, listen, if you could get this, if you could understand that life is so much more than what you see, than what you can feel, if you could get this, you would not be in error as you waste your time fighting over little stupid things like this. You would not be wasting your time on these kind of arguments. I want to read, you've heard of this book before, You and Me Forever. Some of you are even in a small group with this book. And I think some of you, after this round, you might pick up this book and do a small group on it. Kyle's talked about it. I've talked about it. It's a great book. So I want to read, I just want you to listen to what Francis Chan says about this passage and, and, and marriage in heaven. This may come as a shock, but Jesus taught that marriages on earth don't carry over into heaven. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked about a hypothetical widow who, carry, who continues to remarry. The religious leaders of the day were asking Jesus which husband this woman would be married to in heaven. And Jesus answered, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Maybe Jesus' statement is hard for you to accept. Hopefully you're not rejoicing. <laughs> for me, it's, a hard, it's hard to imagine a day when Lisa and I will no longer be married. 
But two thoughts bring me comfort. First, this doesn't mean that Lisa and I won't be deeply in love with each other in heaven. My guess is that I will be even closer to Lisa when we exist in glorified bodies absent of sin. Things must be different in order to be better. Second, I will have a union with God which is guaranteed to be better than any earthly closeness I might be experiencing now. I trust the God who created marriage when he promises a better future. I want to show you a picture here on the screen. These five people are the people that I absolutely adore, love, protect, cherish the most on this planet. But if that is all my life comes to at the end, then I have not got it. These are the most important people to me in the world, and yet sometimes I used to think that I would always say, I will never be a ministry before family type guy. Because I've seen people do ministry and their family suffers I would never be a ministry before family type guy. But then, thinking that way, I always, I, I would start to use my family as an excuse not to do things that I really believed God was leading me to. My time got totally shifted, and I would start to use my family as an excuse and not to do ministry. But here's the thing. Somewhere along the line, I shifted from thinking that I will not be a, family, a, a, a ministry over family type guy to, to my family is my number one ministry. And I now have a wife and four kids that I get to bring along as disciples of Jesus to be world changers. And in the end, if I can say that I did that, then I was successful with my family. But if all I want to do is spend time with my family instead of do ministry, those things are not separate. Look at this next picture. I could show you this picture because it really has nothing to do with me. I had, I really, the only role I have in this is, to, is praying with Heather that there would be a kids club Bible study that, that started at our house. right? And so I, could, I like to brag on my family, brag on my wife. She uh, does this every Tuesday and my kids essentially started it because I, I, the Holy Spirit, I think, really convicted them that these guys need to know about Jesus. And so they started this thing, right? And it happens every Tuesday, and we see a, a, almost a new kid for the first, like, six weeks. We saw a new kid every week. The best possible way for me to, to, to become closer with my family and to, to see the desired outcomes in their life as we seek to serve God, is to serve with them, is to train them and show them how to live with an eternal perspective. I had to, to make this happen. I used to be like, oh, the kids, neighborhood kids, love you, love your families. You come in my yard anytime you want. My house? No. Because in my house, there's things that are breakable. In my house, there's things that they could disrespect, right? My yard, not really. But my house, Yes. Right? So I had to get over that and realize, listen, if they break something, who cares? They probably didn't need it. It's 
It's not about my stuff. It's about their souls, right? And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make. Listen, yes, pay your taxes, but render everything else in life. Everything is God's. Let me say that again. Everything is God's, including your relationships. It may be easy to let go of your stuff, but the people that you love the most, they're God's too. So you can't hold them like this either, right? You got to hold them like this. The band's going to come back up and we're going to worship some more together in song. If we believe that God has given us to be stewards of everything that he has put before us on earth, everything that we have, if we believe that, then what do we, what do we think that means? What do we think that implies for our life and how we live? All that I have is only always meant to be used for the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. In the midst of that, yes, he allows us and he wants us to be joyful in the things that he has given us. He allows us to enjoy these things. And when we do, we are thankful. When we're not enjoying them, we're still thankful. Because God has provided everything we need. And so we give it back to him. Render to God what is God's. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. That was specifically talking to people about sexual purity, but I think that it applies to all areas of life. Because Jesus died for you, your body your relationships, your stuff, all of it is God's. So glorify God with everything. You were bought with a price. There's going to be bread and juice up here at two stations, and there's going to be one in the back. This is a chance for us to remember that we were bought with a price, and our reaction and our response to that should be eternal perspective. Keep my mind on things above, not on things of the earth. It'll change the way you use everything that is on earth. You were bought with a price. And now we get to remember Jesus' body broken for us. His blood poured out for us to wipe away our sins so that we can, without guilt, pursue him even when we mess up. Without guilt. Because guilt is crippling, so we pursue him and we keep our minds on things above. So let's, let's pray and just remember Jesus. God, thank you that Jesus was the perfect example to us here on earth. God, thank you that we were bought with a price. And so now we just want to remember Jesus. We want to glorify him in our stuff in everything that you've given us, we want to glorify him. We want to give back to him. We want to think about heaven and being with you more than we think about earth. It'll change, God. Please, I beg that it changes the way that we use our stuff, the way that we use each other. We love you, God, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen.